The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story, the story of a life well-crafted. This is the story Craft tells. Welcome to the House of Roll. of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. I'm proud to call it home. This is my country. I'll never stand alone. It's time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And good morning and welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. Well, we know there are lots of people out there in politics and the media whose purpose is to inflame your passions and bend you to their will rather than to reason with you. My purpose is a little different. I've come to inform you, to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on that judgment. As a businesswoman, I focus a lot on the numbers. The numbers tell me what's out of sort, what's out of the norm, what needs immediate triage, and what requires further analysis, and how to prioritize the necessary changes. So we are um, in a somewhat awkward position this morning. We had a guest scheduled for the first two uh, segments who is unavoidably detained. Um, This is... um, uh, she's a practicing physician, and so um, something has come up. So I think we'll just uh, hold that conversation about the Ending Well Foundation for a little later in the program and dive right into um, a third discussion that kind of dovetails to a broader question of climate change um, Uh, There are now 85 known dead in the Camp Fire and three more in the Woolsey Fire. Uh, 500 remain missing, which is good news and bad news. It's good news that that number came down from 1,000 earlier this week, but it's still a phenomenal number of people to have not yet been located in the uh, 21st century. I mean, at some point, you got to find an electric plug to plug in your phone and recharge it so that you can communicate with your families. So at this point, I view that number as being quite serious. Well, we are still not through with the midterm election. Somewhere between 39 and 40 seats were gained by the Democrats. There is yet one uh, Southern California seat that still has not been cl- been called. It will have to be called by state law this week that will determine if that uh, if that number 
is 39 or 40 seats. That's quite uh, a majority um, for the Democrats in the House. And if you want to call it whatever you want to call it, it was a wake-up call. It was a thumping. It was a shellacking. Or if you prefer, as I do, Rick Wilson's wonderful book, Everything Trump Touches Dies. And the GOP seems to be in extremis. So as I said, we're going to set aside the um, Ending Wealth Foundation in hopes that uh, Shoshana will be able to join us later in the hour and go on to talk a little more about the fires. Um, you know, I, I don't think any of us can doubt that the firefighting and search efforts continue to be a well-coordinated local, state, and federal civilian and military effort. There are immense challenges. And while it was a bit chaotic, um, local officials and state officials realized that they were overwhelmed in the search effort and brought in United States um, military in addition to active duty military in addition to um, National Guard to help with that search. And those people have been out here, there through that Thanksgiving weekend in the rain and the cold, um, you know, looking for uh, evidence of um, fatalities and, you know, working uh, to identify those who have been, uh, who survived and are now misplaced. Uh, and we owe all of those people an effort. So the good news is we can open our windows and breathe the air without a mask. Uh, if you did not uh, watch any local news at the end of the week, um, they were telling us um, the next step for all of us here in the Bay Area is to change your heater filters. Uh, it's not really hard to do if you don't know how to do it. Um, anybody at Home Depot or Lowe's or Ace Hardware can show you where can show you how to tell you how to do it and sell you a replacement filter. But it's important. All of those pollutants, all of that stuff that was in that smoke, and we'd all like to believe it was just a forest uh, that went up, but it wasn't. It was modern. It it was. One significant town, Paradise, and two smaller surrounding communities, um, which are full of houses of various ages, etc. So there is asbestos and there is metal and there is all sorts of stuff um, in that debris from that fire. And so it is important to change those filters to protect your long-term health. They say uh, if you were out there for an hour a day during the um, height of the bad air, it was like smoking more than half a package of cigarettes a day. So I urge you to go and um, air your houses out, get rid of the smoke smell, but uh, make sure that you also um, do replace your heat filters. Um, and again... Um, there should have been a more coordinated effort than watching your 11 o'clock local news in order to find um, uh, information about what you needed to do here locally in the aftermath of this fire. But you know what? Um, part of the lack of coordination, the immensity of this catastrophe, the campfire, 
um, which, by the way, was just extinguished this morning. It's now, well, it isn't even extinguished. It's now 100% contained um, as of about an hour ago. Um, but but the the speed with which the weather changed meant that they didn't do what needed to be done to to prevent uh, debris again, not really good degree, debris from running off into the rivers. And we don't know what the consequences of that will be, because running into the river right now is mud, ash, asbestos, chemicals, metals plastic, burnt paint. Um, we don't know. Nobody's ever experienced this, something like quite like this before. Um, and so I'm not quite sure um, how, we're not quite sure what the long-term consequences will be of all of that flowing into the rivers. We don't know what the consequences will be either to humans or to animal and marine life. And somebody needs to start to look at the composition of that runoff um, urgently in order to determine how they're going to mitigate the damage that was done. And by the way, who's in charge of that mitigation? You know, that's, that to me right now is the biggest question. Who's in charge? It, it certainly cannot be the local authorities. This is an overwhelming um, catastrophe. And um, in addition to uh, all of the normal law enforcement things that the Butte County Sheriff's Office has to do, they cannot be the final point of coordination for all of these necessary mitigation efforts that were not anticipated um, three weeks ago. And we'll be back after a quick commercial break to talk about what happens after all of this hand-wringing. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back, and um, our guest has uh, now joined us. So Shoshana Underlinder, uh, and I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, Thank you for taking the time to speak with us this morning about ending well. Thank you for having me, Joyce. Sorry, I'm a little late to the call here. I apologize. we uh, Vince and I are used to this. We we uh, we do Sunday morning radio without a net, so <laughs> <laughs> so. Yes, this is par for the course. We're good. <laughs> so so we we've been chatting a little bit about the fire up north, uh, which is 100 percent contained this morning. Oh, um, wow. That's great. To hear. Yeah, and and the lack of coordination in the um, in the aftermath in terms of uh, now that we've put out the flames and dealt with the smoke with the smoke comes the next problem all the runoff the consequences you are going to see in subsequent years when um, the impact of all of this um, uh, runoff um, becomes a problem in human beings mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so but that's a subject for a different for a different morning, we were going to talk this morning about um, 
and about the End Well Foundation. And so let me tell the audience a little bit about who you are, and then we'll talk about how you came to create the End Well Foundation. Shoshana, un- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Unger Leiter, right? You got it. That's right. It's a physician, founder, philanthropist, and speaker. She works as an internist practicing hospital medicine at California Pacific Medical Center in San Francisco, where she's on the teaching faculty and serves as a member of the executive board of the foundation's board of trustees. In collaboration with the California Medical Center Foundation, the Under Unger Leiter Fund initiated a comprehensive education program to enhance medical training around advanced illness and end-of-life care. She funded Extremis, a short documentary about the end-of-life decision-making in the intensive care unit by Academy Award-nominated director Dan Krause. The film, which premiered at Tribeca Film Festival in April of 2016 and won the Best Documentary Short at that festival uh, was nominated for a 2017 Academy Award and for two Emmys, and it's well worth the time um, to watch it. Um, it was um, it was very interesting. I watched it this week. Um, she also executive produced Endgame, a short documentary on hospice and palliative care by the Acad- Academy Award-winning directors Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Friedman. Who premiered at which premiered at Sundance Film Festival this year and was acquired by Netflix. She founded Endwell, a first-of-its-kind media platform, an annual symposium on human-centered design and innovation to improve the end-of-life experience. As a writer and a speaker, Shoshana has been featured as an expert on CBS News, and she has spoken at Google. Exponential Medicines 2017 at the Schwartz Center's Compassion in Action Healthcare Conference, at Columbia University's Narrative Medicine Rounds, and at Stanford University School of Medicine. Shoshana was recently named <clears throat> to the 2018 40 Under 40 class by the San Francisco Business Times, the Becker Hospital Review's Rising Stars, 90 healthcare leaders under 40, and listed in Huffington Post's 99 limit-breaking female founders. She's named the 2018 Woman of the Year by Women's Healthcare Executives of Northern California, and she's on the Health and Medicine Forum of the Commonwealth Club of California. So, Shoshana, thank you for taking the time out of your busy work and holiday schedule to spend some time with our listening audience this this morning. And let's start with, tell us a little bit about what the Endwell Foundation is and what led you to develop it. Thanks, Joyce. Well, uh, the Endwell Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit that I founded that is a nonprofit media platform and annual symposium focused on uh, interdisciplinary um, human-centered solutions to make the end of life uh, a better experience for people. And I realized that um, in order to really um, think holistically 
and and come up with uh, really solutions that work for people that are truly about what matters most to human beings, meaning, um, you know, uh, making sure that, that care that they get is in line with their goals and their values around the end of life, that we needed to invite new voices to the conversation. This is not a healthcare issue. This is not a policy issue. It's really a human issue. And that by bringing the worlds of technology and design and media and education and healthcare and policy, but also patient advocacy and education um, all together, um, that I think that we're going to come up with lasting solutions that are truly uh, transformative uh, around the end of life. So um, I can tell you that early on in my training, I... uh, became really disheartened with with medicine. I was seeing so many often older, more frail adults being admitted to the ICU and really spending their last days, hours suffering, uh, hidden away from the people that they love. And uh, it, it wasn't so much that it was that environment that was, that was, so terrible. It was that they didn't have a say in the fact that they ended up there. Uh, No one had stopped and and had a thoughtful conversation with them and their families about what they wanted. And based on the prognosis of their illness, was this sort of the next step um, or was it something else? Um, I think medicine is always poised to offer uh, an aggressive, invasive approach that's highly, you know, technologically focused. That's modern medicine, um, but we don't always think about um, if that's right for everybody and based on what they want. And um, I think that we value quantity of life over quality. And for many people, that's that's not a good fit. And so I got very interested once I finished training on thinking about um, training all doctors, no matter what field they go into, and in, in how to have conversations with patients and families. Because it turns out that 70% of physicians, when they were surveyed back in 2016 by the Journal of the American Medical Association, said they had not been trained in how to have a difficult conversation with patients, which kind of blows my mind uh, and, and often is shocking to others, given that you know, surgeons spend somewhere around seven to nine years learning how to operate in the operating room because that's a technical skill. I think talking uh, communicating is a technical skill and should be given just as much value in our in our training in our medical education. So that's the story of of how Endwell was born. Um, and we have our uh, second uh, annual symposium coming up on December sixth in San Francisco. It's uh, it's a TED style event, meaning we have a number of speakers who are on stage for around twelve to fifteen minutes. And uh, it's a highly curated day um, all about uh, interdisciplinary approaches to making the end of life more human-centered. And, and we're going to go take a quick commercial break, but I want to come back and talk about exactly that multidisciplinary approach to end of life um, and the difficulty. I mean, it's a hard conversation to have, um, you know, you know that because you deal with it on a on a daily basis. 
Um, it's a difficult conversation to have, but it's a necessary one. And some of the things that we talked about in preparing for this call, I think would be interesting in terms of how the conversation can be enabled and when you really need to start to have mm-hmm. to, to have that conversation. And so we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be back in just a moment um, to talk a little bit more about ending well. Back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back with Dr. Shoshana Ungerleider. We, you know, um, I know that uh, way back when, um, because of some surgery, um, I filled out a, a DNR. Um, I talked it over with my son. We filed it. And, you know, it's like an umbrella. You know, if if you've got it done, you won't need it. Um, if you leave it in the car trunk of the car, well, then it's going to happen. Um, but, but you know, w- one of the things that's happening in our increasingly technology-driven world is it's not a, just that one-time conversation or that expression. It's the whole ecosystem of who we are um, that needs to be addressed. And I think that's one of the things that, the Endwell Symposium uh, looks at. Would you agree? Yeah, that's right. We're, we're trying to open up a new and different conversation about what it means to live well until the very end for whatever that looks like for people and to have conversations with people we love about what matters most to us, whether we're 30 or we're 80 um, or anywhere in between. Um, because I think that no matter how much we love in this country <laughs> and as humans to, to plan ahead and think that we have many, many years ahead of us, and we probably do, but the reality is we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Um, there's so much uncertainty in life, and by having a conversation, well, by first reflecting and, and personally thinking about this question of if I were to become seriously ill, who would I want to speak for me if I wasn't able to speak for myself? And what are the things and what, what is sort of the, where are the places I want to be or what, what is the environment that I want to be in in that situation? Um, and then sharing that information with, with uh, your loved ones, whether it's your spouse, partner, um, uh, close friends, other relatives, because um, it's, uh, again, you know, we just, we don't know. Um, and I think that as somebody, as a physician who has seen um, this go, this go right many times and this go very wrong many times, um, the people who have spoken to their families about having this important conversation um, that we call advanced care planning or, or end of life preferences, um, have a much, much higher chance of getting care that's in line with their goals and their values of how they've lived their life than those that haven't. And that's just a fact. Um, and, and unfortunately, also, you know, no matter if you have a, a fancy piece of paper that's been notarized or signed by a lawyer or whatever, um, half the time those documents aren't even followed, unfortunately, in, in a crisis situation, either because we can't access them or because there's 
you know, a fight in the family about what it actually says and it's not available or, or whatever the, the case may be. So really the conversation is, is the key. Um, and so that's one of, the, one of the main things that we talk a lot about uh, at Endwell is figuring out the right time and the right place to be having these conversations and even, you know, some technology solutions around capturing that information. Um, but it, what it really comes down to is having the conversation. And talk a little about the technology solutions for, for capturing that information in an increasingly electronic world so that you, as a physician, you know, can access that information um, in an emergency. Even if, if you know, um, we're, we're talking about this in terms of the natural progression of life, but there are instances when, you know, a college kid hits a tree uh, skiing, um, and and you need to have that information. and And talk a little about the kinds of 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 twenty first century um, options that are available for people to make sure that their wishes are known. Yeah. Well, you know what I can say is that at, if you're a young person, and well, if you're anyone, honestly, and you've had an accident out in the world. Um, by default, you will receive aggressive invasive care. So that's rest assured that if you know you you have an accident, uh, EMS is called um, that that you will be resuscitated, and they will make every effort uh, to save your life, no matter how old you are. Um, and so this is really in the case of somebody who doesn't want full resuscitative efforts, so they don't want chest compressions, CPR. Um, uh, or intubation, meaning a tube put down to breathe for you. Um, so this often applies to people who are more seriously ill. Although, you know, one can make the case that if, if at any age they say, you know, I, I really don't want to be treated this way, or if they're not likely to recover after some effort, then uh, please remove um, all of all of the devices. Um, I, I want to die naturally. So there's so many different iterations. I just wanted to, to put it out there that you know if somebody is is sick uh, or or has an acute sort of accident, that every effort will be made to 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 save them. Um, and, and getting back to your question about uh, technology, so we currently, you know, most institutions, most hospitals and clinics operate on an electronic health record. Um, for better or worse, and uh, I personally really like it. And so um, we are, you know, often uh, have the have the trouble of of having to have different systems, different electronic health records communicate with each other. So if you go to one hospital, but then show up in another state or even another city or even across town, and those systems don't uh, speak to one another for various reasons, it's it's a problem. Um, we have to then get records faxed over on paper, which can take hours, and, and that's not conducive in an emergency. So I love the idea of people, of patients, owning their own information, their own data, and that can be captured in a number of different uh, ways. Um, there are, um, I mean, everything as simple as, you know, your notes on your iPhone to um, apps out there that can help you kind of have a guided or facilitated conversation about advanced care planning. Um, people I, I know are trying to come up with new solutions to kind of house this information to help facilitate the conversation. 
um, any number of different things. Um, I will say one app that I love that's focused on advanced care planning or end-of-life conversations is Cake, um, like the food. And uh, they're based in Boston and created by a fantastic palliative care doctor uh, and, and his team of, of product designers. And uh, it's actually kind of fun. Um, you flip through cards and uh, you have conversation prompts. And I think that can be really helpful when you kind of don't know what questions to ask or how to broach the topic with uh, family and friends. I I think that would be really useful. And one of the things in our earlier conversation that really struck me is that that, that planning for the end involves more than just your health. It also involves your legacy um, in terms of even things as mundane as Facebook. Um, You know, I mean, do you want to live on in cyberspace Um, is a question which, um, you know, the fact that that exists, that happens. You raised that in our earlier conversation, and I thought, you know, that's, um, you know, that that's an issue I bet most people don't even think about. Absolutely. You know, I think we spend so much of our time now attached to our smartphones or our computers, and we have a a digital life and a real life, and people aren't often planning ahead in terms of where will my passwords live and who will my, you know, who will my proxy be for Facebook or for my, you know, insurance or uh, whatever accounts that you use. And so most companies, including Facebook, are thinking about this in terms of, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, for example, you know, we know that half the people on Facebook will have died. So what what happens to those profiles? Um, Not only the logistics of the passwords, but also, you know, how do they best, uh, how do people best leave a legacy behind and uh, not create traumatic experiences for family and friends by popping up in their, you know, timelines in uh, unexpected ways, but rather creating a place where people can maybe leave a note um, uh, in terms of, of sharing a memory or um, or something else, but not have it be this burdensome thing um, that people have. And so it turns out actually on Facebook, there's in the settings, you can assign a, uh, a legacy or a, I believe they call it a proxy um, who, you know, if something were to happen, they'd be able to tell Facebook that you're uh, – that you're no longer with us, but that they are there to manage the profile. So, you know, as sort of crazy as that sounds, I think the the more that we can be thinking and planning ahead in terms of all of the facets of our life, uh, both real life and digital life, um, the the better, uh, you know, better it's going to be for everybody. So tell us a little bit about the End Well Symposium and, you know, the, the logistics uh, of that, um, you know, when, where, I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm listening to Vince in my ear who is saying, let's go to break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the logistics of, you know, who should come, et cetera. Great. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. 
And we're back with Dr. Shoshona Ungerleiter, and we're going to talk for just a couple minutes about the End Well Symposium uh, that she's going to lead on December 6th in San Francisco. Um, what's going to happen that day? Um, who needs to attend? And who will be attending? And who should be thinking about attending? And well, as I mentioned earlier, is the the only gathering uh, of tech, of design, of policy, of healthcare, of media, the arts, education, patient advocacy, um, all focused on transforming the end of life into a human-centered experience. And so, it's a really dynamic gathering of people from from both you know the audience being that diverse as well as the people on stage. We think that everyone has something to contribute to this movement, and so we think that if you know you're already working in this space or you're just curious about what's happening um, for your own life or the, for the people you love, um, to join us. It's an amazing day where we go from thought to action. Uh, in terms of the myriad of issues around serious illness, caregiving, the end of life, grief and loss. Um, We have an amazing lineup of uh, 22 speakers throughout a very, very full day. It's at San Francisco Jazz Center in Hayes Valley and starts early, uh, at 9 in the morning, and it'll go until around 6 in the evening. We have everyone from famous Hollywood actors to the head of behavioral science at Google, who used to be on Obama's behavioral sciences team, uh, to the founder of the Black Lives Matter movement, to a meditation teacher who's also a sound therapist. Um, there's We have so many speakers. I'm, I'm just, just thrilled. Um, they're, they're just fantastic. Um, and people can find out more information on our website at endwellproject.org. You can also find us on Twitter at EndwellSF, on um, Facebook and Instagram. We're basically on every social media channel, so uh, if people are interested in in checking it out, um, I think we have just a couple of tickets left. Okay, and we are, um, I will add um, a link to your uh, your site to the, where people can get their registration information uh, to the podcast of this program. So that will be another source uh, of of contact. Um, interesting. So, what kind of Hollywood actors are you having? Well, um, one of them is uh, Justin Baldoni, and uh, he is. I don't know if you if you watch the CW channel, but uh, he's one of the main characters on the show called Jane the Virgin. He's also an entrepreneur and has his own production company, so he's currently making a film and just has a, he's young, he's in his 30s, but has a personal interest in specifically young people who have serious illness and what that looks like in terms of their lives and and personal and intimate relationships. He's just a really thoughtful, uh, lovely guy, and also an interest of his is toxic masculinity. So he's one of these uh, really forward-thinking people who uh, who likes to push the envelope so we're excited to have him well i think it's going to be a hugely successful event um you know for me it's i'm supposed to be in new york on the 5th um so i don't know if i will make it but if i decide if new york becomes impossible because of the weather um i'll certainly try to come and um 
and share in part of this. I think it's a really worthwhile effort for people to stop and think about issues like, um, you know, it's going to happen to all of us sooner or later. Um, and and it's important because uh, it should be human-centered. It, it's one of the things that struck me when when Robbie Pearl and I first talked, when Dr. Uh, Robert Pearl and I first talked about his book, Mistreated, um, that he and his brother, both of them MDs, um, realized as they were sitting with their father in his final hours and they had said that they wanted to stop all the extreme measures that uh, no doctor came by for the three days that they sat with him before he passed. And what Dr. Pearl said is there is no billing code for compassion. And so as we end this conversation, what your Endwell Foundation really brings to this complicated medical and social issue is compassion. Would you agree? Absolutely. I think it's all about, you know, bringing people together as human beings. I think, uh, you know, everyone in their life will experience grief, they'll experience loss, they'll experience illness if they haven't already. Um, this is one of the things about being a human being. And so the more we can talk about it and come up with solutions together, again, I think the better off everyone's going to be. Well, um, I, I appreciate your time. I know that uh, how busy you are. Uh, and we appreciate your your thoughtfulness and, um, and the fact that you've taken the time to speak with us this morning. And again, uh, the endwellproject.org is where you'd find information if you'd like to attend this event. And Dr. Ungerleiter, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Joyce. Um, we'll look forward to talking again. All righty. Bye-bye. to reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back. Um, we can talk for just a minute more. Um, that was kind of a difficult um, interview subject. So uh, while we're on the subject of difficult things, um, let's talk for just a moment more about... Um, the fire situation, and what I'm not hearing, what I'm not hearing from anybody. I mean, um, we haven't heard a peep about the long-term consequences of this whole situation. Um, and, and we are now, I mean, the first, the first issue was to fight the fire, right? All right, so the fire's out. So now where are we? We are about a million units of housing short of being able to satisfy the existing population, okay? And that's kind of a strange and interesting thing uh, in and of itself. Um, certainly will not be solved by Prop 1. Um, and yet this whole thing, I mean, we've seen pictures of people in parking lots and so on and so forth. Uh, there are still, this morning, there are 75 tents 
in a parking lot in the rain in Chico where people are staying because some people became ill. Somebody put a trailer there and they call it their warmer center, the warming center. You know, it's a house trailer like you'd use to go camping. And they're now calling that their warming center. And I'm going, this is California. This is the United States of America. And this is the 21st century. And that's the best we can do. You know who we haven't heard a peep from? Not a single solitary peep about help, about housing, about um, immediate relief. We saw Brock Long from FEMA. We've been told there's a FEMA center in Chico, but we haven't heard a word about a plan. Nor have we heard from Governor Brown nor Governor-elect Newsom. They were all warm and toasty in their houses for Thanksgiving. They weren't out in a tent in the pouring rain. So I don't know that I think Brock Long is the guy that we should be pointing fingers at because he's got catastrophes of, of the many from Puerto Rico not yet resolved through the hurricanes of last year and this year um, in the Carolinas and Florida, et cetera, um, plus all the fires. Okay, but where in heaven's name is the government of the state of California? You know, there is a long-term crisis here, and nobody is seems to have uh, to even be able to articulate the various pieces that need to be put into place to begin to solve the problem. I mean, there are lots of people live who lived in paradise who also worked in paradise, and those people have lost not just their homes but their livelihoods. Okay, so what are we going to do to help those people replace their in lost income during the rebuilding process? What about the elderly who were living on fixed incomes in one of the few places in the state where you could live on a fixed income? You know, there is permanent dislocation for many of those people because the forest, the recreational business opportunities, etc., will be generations in coming back. And yet, from Sacramento... There is silence. Crisis is the nature of living in the West, and yet we seem to be very ill-prepared. The, the, the odd part is that Aaron Rodgers seems to be the, the NFL quarterback, seems to be the guy who is stepping up and saying there needs to be a plan. He's donated a million dollars. He's organized some activities with the North Valley uh, regional people. And, and he's saying, you know, we're going to put a plan together and we're going to do something. And this is his hometown. He comes from Chico. But, um, you know, it, does it, it, he seems to be, um, he seems to be the only person who's saying, you know, we've got a long-term problem here. So here's an initial million dollars. How are we going to work together to start to rebuild this, you know, this community? You know, he's helping from his heart. He didn't go and volunteer and say, I want to be a leader in this state, as did Governor Brown and Governor-elect Newsom. But he saw a need, and he says, I'm going to do my part to fill it. If nobody else is going to take charge, I will. Well, you know, he's a Berkeley alum, and we lead. We don't follow. So let's hope that somebody is going to follow in his footsteps uh, and help to organize. Um, uh, th this is a... This is a multi-billion dollar catastrophe 
um, and and it these people need help now. They don't need um, long um, uh, legislative hearings. They need help, and it's up to us, the rest of us, to help them. So there are two ways you can help. I'm sorry. Um, I promise this will be my last lecture on on the, the fire. Um, but there are two ways you can help. You can go to the Red Cross and make a donation. They're, they're operating most of the shelters in the area. And um, the NBC affiliate in San Jose uh, is going to run an all-day. T- Tuesday is Giving Tuesday uh, after Cyber Monday. And so um, um, NBC 11 will be conducting an all-day telethon on Tuesday, and you can make donations there. I know some people have appealed to me on Facebook. Um, I can't tell you that any of those organizations are are real, valid, and nonprofit. Um, so I'm not going to mention any of them. But um, both the Red Cross and the and the NBC um, affiliate um, are places where you can make a real difference. And we've got two minutes. We've got two minutes. So let's talk instead of talking more about fi- this fire. Let's talk about, you know, what has to happen going forward. What are, what are the lessons that we can learn from these major fires so that we get ready for the next one? And yes, uh, one of the lessons that has to be learned is, um, you know, some form of protection from allowing nature to just take its course. Um, but there is, and, and it's very important that we get better at how we identify which fires are going to really take off and that we consider fire in when we're building in these, um, in the urban um, wilderness interface. And it's also important um, that we learn how to be ready for the next one, how to organize, because the United States government yesterday, on I'm sorry, Friday, issued a report that says, if you think these forest fires were serious um, because of climate change, these are only going to get worse. These are only going to be more serious. Um, and, and, and if I ask you to do one more thing, it's contact your California legislator and ask them, what are we going to do to be able to better save lives, mitigate disaster, and prevent future forest, pre- prevent and, and, and stop the spread of future forest fires? This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.